With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello. Hi. Good day. How you doing? You okay? Am I okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just fine. How are you, James? Yeah, good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, uh, sure. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, really looking forward to speaking with you today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, as you can see, everybody, we are now joined by actor, comedian, impressionist, Jim Meskimen. Long and extensive career you've had. So it's a pleasure of ours to be able to talk to you a little bit about that today. Um, I'll let you start this one today, Keaton. Um, yeah, sounds. Um, so t- to start off then, um, when you were starting out, did you look to anyone in particular for like inspiration or not? Well, my mom, really. Uh, Marion Ross, my mother, she's uh, you know a huge driving force behind my life, <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, and uh, so, uh, yeah, you know, I saw just by osmosis, I guess, or just by happenstance, what she did to, you know, at least, you know, in her adult life to keep her, uh, her career growing. I saw the amount of hustle it took and uh, hard work and, uh, you know, uh, persistence. You know, actors always talk about persistence. It's a huge part of anybody's success in their in their career is that they just keep at it, you know. And um, there's every reason to uh, to drop out or to, to to let up on the gas pedal a bit and to not exert yourself or uh, go outside your comfort zone in the arts, right? Because the arts are kind of unexplored territory. You know, you don't. It's not like, well, I'm building a you know a carburetor and I know what the specs are, and you know it's going to have this kind of tolerance and so forth. I sound like I know about cars. I really don't, but it's, you know, it's what kind of character maybe nobody's ever seen it before. Maybe I've never played it before. It's always uncertainties in other words. So there's every reason to drop out and not push through or not have confidence in what you're doing. So I observed that in my mom that she just kept going, even though there was a lot of barriers for her. Uh, She was raising two kids as a single mom. Um, you know, she she had the limitations of being an actress who's not fabulously attractive. You know, it's not like she wasn't like a model or anything. She's she had a kind of a big rear end, and, and this is what she she tells me. You know, and uh, uh, you know, so there's a lot of barriers anyway. So I learned from her a lot, and I still, you know, right. Uh, look to her as a as a kind of an example uh, to this day of like let's 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 make something happen. Like for example, in uh, in the Happy Days years, even uh, even when she was marrying Cunningham and the show was on the air uh, in the off season in the what they called the hiatus, she would do she would always do plays, and that's a lot of work. If you've ever done a play, you know it's like <laughs> it's fun, sure to a degree. But mostly, so it's a lot of it's a lot of bother, 
And uh, she did it so that she would stay fresh, so that people would see her, so that she was creating her career. That's a very long answer to a very short question. I, I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> that was great. Um, and you've, you've kind of answered our, our next question. We did have a, a question there about your mom, obviously, massive part of Happy Days. Uh, I think there's only two people who appeared in more episodes than her. Um, so, you know, I figured she was going to be a big inspiration to you. Who are, those, the who are those two people, Ron and Henry? Uh, I think Henry was one of them. And I can't quite remember. The, I don't think Ron was the other one. But... Well, it's probably not Ron because Ron Ron wasn't on the series for the last uh, few years. So probably, maybe it was Tom Bosley. Hmm. Yeah, I think it might have been actually. Um, but, I mean, you know, she she was a huge part and obviously played a big part to the success of the show. Um, oh, yeah. So, to sort of move on then, what was the first impression that you first really knew that you had, like, down perfectly? Oh, well, I, I don't know that I've ever had one perfectly. It's a, it's a pretty tall order. Uh well, I, you know, I've answered this question many times and in lots of different ways. Today, I feel like answering it like this. <laughs> uh, the first, um, you know, you get validated as, a, as an impressionist when people respond in a certain way. And one of the great validations for, for a professional impressionist is to, be, is to be booked and paid for something. So the, the first one that I recall in California anyway, I, I worked in New York a lot, but in California, the first thing that I auditioned for, and I thought, you know, I, I think I can do this voice pretty well. And, and then they hired me and, and I did the recording for a movie and uh, it was for FDR, who we call FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the uh, American president during World War II. And at that time I was about 32 <laughs> and FDR was substantially older. So I know that I was probably competing against a lot of older actors and a lot of very established uh, voice artists anyway. And so I was very chuffed, as as you say, I believe in your country. Um, very, very pleased and proud uh, that I got the job. And that was like, all right, I must be, you know, my sense about this is right, you know, and it's validating. So you feel like, yeah, okay, okay. Because that's it's one thing when you do, I don't know, a voice in your show and you get a laugh or, or you do it for whatever purpose. But when someone says, we will pay you to be in the movie, you know, like, all right, that's, that's, that really putting their self, this, a bunch of people have to agree that that's right. You know, and it's very validating. Yeah. Yeah. Get you there, the whole. And so, our, and so FDR, I should do FDR for you. So, it's like, so FDR, this is a fellow what a very sort of compressed, what we call mid-Atlantic voice. And because of the time and the recording apparatus of the day, he had to speak at full voice like this to make even the most mundane pronunciamientos. <laughs> I think I'm getting better at it. The older I get, I think I'm really getting closer. <laughs> obviously when you look at it there obviously the impression is like the main part but I'm wondering how much time do you, and effort do you put into mannerisms and, and getting them down how much time do I put into study physicality yeah like mannerisms and that like actually capturing that character 
Well, I, I could probably do it more, I think. But I, I, for me, you know, I don't separate into, well, now, now I'll work on the voice and now for 15 minutes I'll work on the mannerisms and now I'll work on the wardrobe. I, I don't really separate it out that way. It's all kind of a a process that for me is is just, it's an acting technique. So I try to become that person. Now, when you become another person, you have their their physicality, you know. And if you've observed a lot, uh, which is very key. I mean, if, only, if I've only heard the voice, then I, I can't obviously extrapolate any of their physicality. But if I've observed them, you know, like Robert De Niro, okay, so if I'm going to play Robert De Niro, I've seen him a lot. I know he's, you know, physically, he has a certain way of, of moving. He's not very, uh, you know, dynamic that way, unless he's punching someone. <laughs> so, you know, that I, that all comes with the package. Um and, and even when I'm doing something just in front of a microphone and nobody can see me, it it helps to sell the impression because, I, and also I'm just being that person. So it's, I can't, there's no profit in me just putting it through on one channel, just mm-hmm. the vocal channel. I try to like embody that person, you know, yeah. and my friend Ross Marquand yeah. operates the same way, you know, when he does impressions and uh, we've talked about it a lot. It's like, you just, you become that guy. Yeah. yeah yeah ross i mean i've seen ross mark one as, as well and he's he's phenomenal as well um yeah. <clears throat> so a lot of the voiceover work you've done has been uh like superhero type things marvel and a lot of dc in in there as well um mm. were you were you a fan of were you like into comic books growing up before you got into this line of work very briefly uh and really out of desperation because i, was, <laughs> I, I remember my family uh, my mother and my sister and grandma, we took a, a, a long, long road trip from Los Angeles to Saskatchewan, Canada, which is, I don't know, 800, 900 miles. And I was just desperately bored when we got up there. And so I went into a little, the little country store there and bought some comic books. And those were very important to me because they were such an escape from where I was. And I think, I think that's what people dig about comics is that they're they're an escape from the world we live in they're escape from the limitations of being a human being you know who can only you know lift a certain amount and can't fly and can't you know cut a car in half with a laser beam eyes so so at that point in my life you know and i'm talking probably 12 11 or 12 it was very important to me i didn't really i I didn't go down that path very far i had other things i was interested in Uh, i like mad magazine a lot uh, and Mad Magazine doesn't have the kind of fans that uh, obviously that Marvel or DC do, but I was a cartoonist. So for me, I wanted to draw like those, some of those guys in Mad. And, and I read also Walt Kelly's Pogo and I wanted to draw like Walt Kelly. And I, it was less about being those characters uh, any, beyond being able to be them and draw them. Uh, I didn't want to follow the adventures of, uh, Superman or Batman, for whatever reason, I just, I don't know. I, I, I'm not really wired that way. I, I, I respect it. It's a, it's an unbelievable, unbelievably successful and inspiring art form. And I'm very grateful for all the work I've done, uh, particularly with Marvel in the last few years. <clears throat> Still sticking with your, um, your voiceover career. So it's seen you do a lot of iconic characters and people such as like JFK, um, <laughs> Genie, amongst others. Who has been your favorite to voice over the years? 
Well, favorite. I mean, I love Robin Williams. It's genie. It was fantastic. It's always a pleasure to do it to put on the uh, put on the earring and uh, those metal bracelets. And uh, uh, it's a, it's an honor to to play that character. I I just did it uh, last month for some other project, so it's still alive. You know, I had a feeling when uh, or not a feeling, but I had a, a fright when Will Smith took over the character that that would be the end of the Blue Genie. But apparently not. Oh. Apparently not. So uh, I love to do that character. It's yeah, it's it's super fun. I would say that's probably my favorite. Also, people re- respond to it very beautifully. I think Robin left behind such a you know such a wealth of of wonderful experiences and memories for people that uh, it's it's nice to be able to evoke that and make people feel young and stupid again. <laughs> it's brilliant, that, you know. It, it, do you find like is that that like the reaction reaction you get even for like your other impressions? It's like just. So it's like awe and shock, I guess. Do, do I find I get shock and awe from my impressions? Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that uh, shock and awe is just quite an expression. <laughs> it's evocative. <laughs> Brings back memories. <laughs> you know, I just, I like to lighten people's day. I like to people give people a smile. You know, it's, it's big. Yeah. I think it's just, it's one thing that we entertainers can do. And it's part of our, our most important part of our job is to make people feel a little better. So if I can, you know, if I can carry the torch a little bit for Robin and all that amazing stuff that he did. Wow. Gosh, what a nice privilege. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> is it difficult to come in and, and voice a character such as the genie, obviously with having Robin Williams do it, you know, so iconically in Aladdin. And then obviously Dan Castellaneta has done his version of it as well. Is that difficult to come into a role like that sometimes? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I it's always difficult. It's very competitive, first of all. There's quite a lot of people that audition for that part. Uh, I think I, you know, had a little good fortune there. Uh, luckily, I did not hear Dan Castellaneta's version I say luckily because I'm sure I would have been intimidated by it. I know he goes all over the place and he's just one of the most amazing and uh, successful voice actors in American history. Uh, so I just had my, my affinity for Robin and for his voice and for his performing to carry, to carry me through. And uh, you know, I hope see, like I do with every audition uh, that you know someone will agree that I'm the right choice. And then uh, I just try to do the best I can. Yeah. You mentioned um, Will Smith earlier in regards to the genie. Obviously, mm. you, you appeared in The Fresh Prince, uh, seasons four and six. So from that, could you always tell that he would go on to have the career that, that he's had? Well, gosh, certainly not at first. No, I mean, when I when, he was such a skinny kid when I first worked with him. You know, he was playing a college student. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, and then in, in subsequent years, I did notice that he was he had begun to get into independent film anyway, and like kind of art house kind of films. Um, and outside of the fact that Will Smith has a tremendously dynamic personality and seems to have a hunger for for life and for experience, uh, I didn't I didn't foresee that. Wow, this guy's really, you know, this guy's going to go to the top. Um, I, I'm not obviously surprised at all that he did uh, I was more surprised that he you know took that big dip but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like it's hard to predict sometimes like for instance Ron Howard uh, I've known Ron Howard for long long time you know and and he left happy days to be a director and if you go back and look at his first uh, 
his first actual directed film, which is Grand Theft Auto, nothing, no relation to the video game, uh, which he wrote with his dad, <laughs> Rants. And if you look at that film, you don't necessarily go, now here's a guy that's going to win many Oscars. You kind of go, wow, I wonder how many people were injured in the making of this film. There's <laughs> a lot of other things you'd think of other than that. And yet, he, his drive and his you know, determination were such, and his strong, strong interest and persistence, again, uh, were so great that, you know, obviously, he's one of the the greatest ever you know uh, i don't know if you've seen 13 lives but it's up for best picture this year i think it's just a phenomenal movie and uh def- definitely deserves the oscar yeah yeah um <laughs> now ron ron howard is a name you see very often um in the award categories and, and things like that Um it's amazing to think that he sort of got his big break in happy days it's two very different ends of the spectrum with that but I suppose that's uh, where talent and perseverance get you. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've read his book. Uh, he and his brother wrote a, a duo autobiography called uh, The Boys. It talks about their careers growing up and their life growing up. And it's just, I thought I knew their story. I had no idea. It's an amazing book, The The, the Boys. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, so moving on to another film that you were in, um, Battlefield Earth. Um, so... Yeah. <laughs> um, of my many, many of my 300 IMDb credits, we decided to focus on Battlefield. Very good. Go right ahead. <laughs> it's it's you probably won't get asked much about it, so that's why I brought. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, very um, much. It's a great story. Uh, Battlefield Earth is a fantastic novel. I had the honor of directing the audiobook version a few years ago, which won an Audi Award. I directed, I don't know, over 100 actors in it. It's a multicast audiobook, very beautifully produced. Great story. I was very pleased to be involved with it at the time. It has come to be, you know, not perhaps as respected as it should be. Uh, but it is a, you know, a, a very earnest and sincere attempt to bring that story to life. I'm sure in, in the future, Battlefield Earth will make a fantastic uh, limited series. Oh, it needs it's a big broad story and it needed a lot more than what we were able to put into it at, in a feature film in my opinion but i think mr travolta did a fantastic job and and it was very um very ambitious of him to to embrace that project and i think you know i respect him for it a lot i think he's a yeah. terrific producer terrific actor and just a beautiful human being i know it was a very much a, a pet project of, of john travolta's yeah. um was trying to get it picked up by a studio for a long time is there a sense that maybe he he got almost desperate trying to get it made in the end and that maybe hindered it a little bit i don't think so no i mean when you look at it it's like a pretty wonderful film and and it was done extremely inexpensively and nobody knows about that but it's the cost of that movie was just because most people were working at a very reduced rate because they really believed in the project i know i was so uh you know i think for the time it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that movie. There are a lot you could do a lot worse than than Battlefield Earth. It's it's uh, you know it's a competent film. Roger Christian, the director, who had worked with George Lucas on the the initial Star Wars movies, you know, and a pretty pretty bulletproof uh, bunch of people. So yeah, um, so to uh, go back to the uh, impressions. If you were to 
try and teach us to do an impression. We we are down. Who would you suggest would be the easiest to start with? But I know obviously as you mentioned there, getting into that character. But yeah. Who would you suggest? Like, how would you suggest starting out with an impression? Well, for you, I think you'd want to tackle someone from your side of the pond for sure, because you've got a really nice thick. Are you? What part of England are you lads from? Liverpool. Liverpool. Okay. Well, then I would take one of the famous ones. You know, George, John, Paul, Ringo. Work on them a bit. Like Sir, like Sir Paul. I mean, the thing about Sir Paul that's so great is that, uh, you know, he's. Uh, they start to mellow out now, you know. You just talk about anything. And, uh, I've seen him in videos walking around Liverpool just talking to everybody, you know. I mean, there's plenty of footage, in other words. If you want to make a study of it, I think you'd just get on and, you know, sort of, um, you know, really deep, deep dive on support. Yeah. I've, I've seen you show, like, a, a tutorial about to get Robert De Nero, uh, De Nero, De Nero, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You sort of show how you can basically not like change your palate, but put your mouth a certain way to capture his voice. And I think that that's mad. Yeah, have you tried that? Um, no, I didn't try. I was, I was, I was watching it and obviously listening. Like, as yeah. I say, you go shock and awe. So you know, I didn't attempt it. <laughs> shock and awe. Here's that word again. <laughs> I'm gonna what? say it a few times. Pops up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing about the thing about voice work, and and if you are interested, and in, 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 most people aren't, but the thing about it is, it's like a musical instrument. You have to pick it up. You have to start playing it, and and listening to it, and recording it, and you know, immerse yourself in it, and fool around with it, and see uh, see what sort of things your voice can do. You know, just by sort of uh, making a decision to change something, uh, whatever that happened to be, uh, and to. To kind of you know see what the balances are, see what the limitations are of your voice. See how uh, how low or how high you can go. Uh, if you bounce the sound off the top of your palate, like you mentioned before, or something like that, and kind of monkey around with it, you know, and see what kind of sounds you can do. Because you might surprise yourself and go, "Hey, I didn't know I could make that sound." And by the way, that sounds like this person, you know. And uh, that's what I've done a lot of time, just by kind of monkeying around. And yeah. I did that when I was a kid to make my friends laugh and to pass the time. Yeah. That yeah. ability to just change it so flawlessly that is just, it, it's incredible. The way you just done, you. Even it's just that little bit. Yeah, well, you know, it's just practice. It's, it's nothing mysterious, I'm afraid. It's nothing terribly magical. It's just a lot, a lot of practice. <laughs> um, so you made a video that kind of went viral. Um, we use deepfake to do impressions. Um, how long did that take you, and what made you want to put that out there? Oh well, you know, I should say uh, that the actual deepfake part of it, the the special effects digital manipulation of it, was done by another person. It was done by a guy named Sam Head, in who is over there in England. I think he lives in the southern England now, and um, uh, so he he actually approached me, and he said, "This is." Now, going back quite a few years, and I was unacquainted with deep fake. I didn't know it existed. And he sent me a sample and said, hey, I'm a SFX artist living in England, and uh, I'd like to collaborate with you if you're interested. And here's a sample, by the way. And he'd taken one of my videos. I don't remember which one. And he changed me, my face. Well, and I was just stunned. I mean, I just didn't. 
when somebody sends you something like that, where okay, here's your video, but you're really, you know, uh, Patrick Stewart or George W. Bush or something. I'm like, oh my God, my wife and I, we just went, the hell is this? So I said, yeah, sure. I'd love to work with you. And I had written a poem called uh, Pity the Poor Impressionist. Uh, and I'd done it before in Celebrity Voices, and it, didn't, it sort of sat there. It didn't really tickle people very much for some reason. Uh, and so I thought, well, maybe maybe this would goose it up a little bit, you know? And so I video, he said, he told me what how to film it and how big my head should be in the frame and not too close and all that stuff. And I uh, I performed it on a video, and I sent it to him. And a few weeks later... I got it back and I was like, boy, oh boy, this is crazy. And I think we were, I think the reason it went viral, one of the reasons that it really took off was it sneaks up on one. Uh, for what, you know, I hadn't thought about it beforehand at all. It was not premeditated, but the first three or four uh, celebrities, the shifts in my face are so subtle that you think, I've heard from many people that they go, well, I just thought you were doing that. Yeah. I just thought you could do that with your face. <laughs> they thought I could broaden my nose, make my eyes change color. <laughs> I'm, not that, I'm not that good. Uh, so it sort of, it sort of eases you into the illusion. And then by the time you're like, well, this is kind of amazing. And then weird stuff happens. Like a mustache comes out of nowhere and I change my race and various other things that make it apparent that there's something else going on here. But um, yeah. I, and I've, yeah, it went viral on YouTube. And then uh, recently we've repurposed it for TikTok, you know, because the Chinese should be able to enjoy my entertainment as well. And um, and that's it went viral there even bigger. I think it's at eight point something million views, which is encouraging. And uh, I wish I could do it all the time. I wish I could do it with my head. You know, I wish I could suddenly make my ears jut out and swell my forehead, and put hair on and off in a blink. <laughs> One thing I did want to ask you about was um, you mentioned, obviously, you've known Ron Howard for a long time um, mm. and you've done an episode of Family Guy where you were voicing Ron Howard. Yeah, that's right. Is yeah, that, I did. Is that I, a bit strange I, for you? Uh, well, I'll tell you what I do is, uh, you know, if people ask me to do something like that and it's uh, someone I know like Ron, uh, I, I have to look at the script first because I, I don't want them to take the piss. You know, I believe that's what you say. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I looked at the script and went, oh, no, this is just funny. Ron wouldn't mind. Because the last thing, <laughs> last thing I want to do is insult my friend Ron Howard. He's been very, very helpful to me and my family. And uh, I think he's a terrific guy, worthy of respect. So I didn't want to, you know, there's an awful lot of just sort of uh, nasty, critical joking that goes on in entertainment. And when I, you know, I think when you're starting out, you're just hungry to do anything. And if, if something's in kind of poor taste, you're like, ah, all right, well, I'll just do it and take the paycheck. But at this stage of my career, I look at things pretty carefully. And if it's the least bit insulting to somebody or tasteless or not funny, and it's supposed to be funny, we're all supposed to laugh at it. I just, I just pass. I just go, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so the last thing we want to do with you, we do want to lend some more of your brilliant impressions <clears throat> we want to ask some of them okay some of life's uh, like important questions so for example the first one we want to ask Ian McCallan what should be the goal of humanity the goal of humanity well I can't presume to dictate the goal of an entire race of people you understand however I would say that um, it's a good idea to try to set a good example with whatever you do 
So no matter where you are, if you live in a cave somewhere in, uh, you know, outer Mongolia, hmm, you may not have access to all the things that a modern person does, but you can at very least for your cave mates, let's say, set a good example, don't you think? That's brilliant. <laughs> um, so we want to ask Anthony Hopkins, what is love? What is love? Love is a sort of a, well, it's a, very great, a great question, isn't it? Love is, um, well, it's a feeling. It's a viewpoint. It's a, um, an expression of great admiration and um, affection, compassion, that sort of thing. I think we all have a, a tremendous wellspring of love inside. And really, where do we want to dry, direct that stream of affinity? Yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro, not oh. the one that said, um, <laughs> why, why do we dream? Why do we dream? Why do we dream? I, I think we dream because, uh, well, in my case, sometimes, you know, I am uh, have some sort of weird dream at night. I'm tossing and turning. I'm, I'm thinking, what, you know, where am I? Um, there's a monster, maybe, uh, or, or a friend of mine, and he turns into a cab, and, and then there's cheese everywhere, and um, you know, there's the bell ringing, and I find out it's my thumb. You know, and I realized, you know, I think about it later, I realized I had a lot of, I had a lot of pizza late at night. <laughs> I, I got to stop. I got to knock that out. There's no uh, pizza that effect. <laughs> um, so Robin Williams, do aliens exist? Do aliens exist? Oh my God, you're talking to one. <laughs> Half your audience is an alien. I think they're all aliens. I mean, we think about it. Um, well, we're all from someplace else, aren't we? I mean, even David Crosby said it. We're all, you know, specks of of prehistoric carbon. So we've all come from some other place in the universe. We've decided to land here. It's sort of a clubhouse. We're all just sort of, you know, trying to get along here on this crazy planet. This big mud ball floating around in space, third drop from the sun. <laughs> and uh, well, we're all aliens, and we and we're all aliens to the degree that we don't meet each other and make friends and figure out a way to communicate. It's mad when you do, Robin, you know, because it's just like you got to stop and listen. It's it, it's mad. <laughs> um, you know, I trick people to listen to me. The, the, the last one for you is um, Joe Pesci. Would you break the law to save the loved one? To save a loved one? Would I break the law? Of course. Absolutely. What are you talking about? Don't be stupid. I mean, the law is there. The law is there to protect people, right? So they don't get killed. So they don't get hurt or robbed or whatever. So if somebody's getting hurt or robbed or whatever, I mean, you're basically obeying the law if you break the law. Is that simple? <laughs> That's just amazing. Blows me mind, honestly. <laughs> um, Jim, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been My fantastic. Pleasure. Hey, I, I just want to, if I can put in a plug. Absolutely. First of all, for your viewers, go to my TikTok channel. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be in a new TV show that's going to launch March 31st called The Big Door Prize with uh, Chris O'Dowd, who's not English, but he's Irish, so close enough. <laughs> and uh, it's a swell show, The Big Door Prize. And uh, yeah, that launches March 31st. Anyway, it's a fun show. I think your uh, your friends will like it. I think you'll like it. I'm just heading out to Atlanta in a couple of days to shoot some more on season two. Can't wait. We'll tune in. Absolutely. 
But right. again, thank you so much for your time. We know you're a busy man. So we really appreciate you taking the time out to chat with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. And I hope when the next time I see you, we'll have worked up one of your Beatles uh, impressions. <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on it Don't just for you. Don't be shy. Give it a whirl. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, mate. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Ah, uh, that was unbelievable. That was that was crazy. Wow, uh, Jim Meskimen, um, and well, other people. <laughs> Jim Meskimen <laughs> turned into everyone. Uh, <laughs> wow, Jesus Christ! Um, I need to process that seriously. <laughs> God, you didn't bring Mickey Fletcher impression up. <laughs> oh the Cody Bandit man. <laughs> uh but yeah, thank you everyone for tuning in. Fans of MMA, appreciate the love. Um so thank you for that, mate. Um I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did because that was fantastic. Um yeah. we'll be back tomorrow. I think we've got a couple lined up tomorrow, haven't we? So yeah, um, we have uh Bobby Pally. Um, 12 p.m. That's an Instagram live with just Keaton. That's an Instagram live, yeah, which is for his upcoming fight at Aries. 6.30 p.m. We have Billy Adams ahead uh, of his title fight at Kingdom. And then 9 o'clock, we have Jack Haxworthy ahead uh, of his Finally. title fight at Kingdom as well. So... That, that's been organ- that feels like it's been organised about 16 times now. Um, so, it, it, that's because the one with Billy's being rescheduled more. I know, yeah. There. Literally, this <laughs> this next couple of weeks is all about it. literally just going to be us getting the ones we rearranged from last week because we were, our heads were up our asses with the comedy name and yeah. doing them now. So, um, But yeah, you get to see... Well, you get to see him three times tomorrow, but you only get to see me twice. But thank you, everyone, as I say, for tuning in, and we will see you all tomorrow.